Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The overwhelmed brain is here to help you create the life you want now. This is Paul Coliani, host of The Overwhelmed Brain and your personal empowerment coach. This is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. If you're here to learn more common sense tips for improving your life, you're in the wrong place. This is the direct path to uncommon sense, and that's why it's going to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. Let's get to today's quote, which is by Martin Luther King Jr., and it's this. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Now, the reason I chose this quote is because it's very fitting for what can change in your life. If you want to transform someone in your life that is mean to you, that you just can't get along with, or that you want to get along with, but you can't find a way to do it, show them love. Now, I don't mean... I love you. I just mean show them compassion. Show them something friendly instead of a reaction. Now, how do you do this? Some people you don't think might even deserve that, but I watched a movie last night called Soul Surfer, and it is the true story or based on the true story of Bethany Hamilton. And she was a 16-year-old surfer in Hawaii who had her arm bitten off by a shark. If you've never looked at the story or have never seen the movie, it's it's worth looking into because it's very inspiring. Well, there's one scene in the movie that was pivotal in changing a rivalry into a friendship. So if you haven't seen the movie, block your ears for the next 30 seconds or so so I can read you the lines in that movie that change what was happening in the scene. So... Block your ears now if you don't want a spoiler, uh, probably for the next minute or so. And um, let me set up the scene. So Melina is a rival surfer and she is competing against Bethany, who lost her arm. And the scene in the movie is near the end where Melina actually wins the competition uh, against Bethany and some other surfers. And Melina has been just really snarky towards Bethany the whole movie never letting down and and, and just really kind of mean to Bethany even after she lost her arm so they're getting their pictures taken and Melina's on the top spot and she's still being a little snarky to Bethany and Bethany looks up and says Melina I wanted to thank you and Melina looks down and says for what just for never taking it easy on me it means a lot and 
Melina just didn't know what to say. It was a total shock to her because she did not expect that. She expected the same reaction, which is, I'm going to sound mean or maybe like a bully, and you're going to cower or say something back. But Bethany didn't do it that time. She had lost her arm, and a lot of people were trying to help her out because she had no arm, but Melina never backed down, and she was always herself. That doesn't mean we should still like her for being herself because she... She was kind of mean towards Bethany. But after that scene, Melina shifted. She changed. She looked down at Bethany and said, Come on up here. I want to share this award with you. She just changed. Now, I know this is just a movie and it's probably exaggerated a little bit, but it really sent a clear message. And that is, if you're always reactive and feeling like you're getting beaten and you're always responding from that place, the relationship you have will never change. By the way, if you've blocked your ears, now is the time to unblock them because I won't be mentioning too much about the movie anymore. (laughs) So if you haven't seen the movie, go check it out. It's called Soul Surfer, and it's been around for a few years. It really seemed like it was directed towards kids for the first 30 or 40 minutes or so, but then the movie takes a turn and and it really uh, matures into something that was inspiring and definitely tear-jerking and overall just uh, empowering to to me and I think you'll probably like it too. So anyway, changing your attitude towards someone, even if they're mean towards you, can mean the difference between a tense, anxious relationship and a positive, uh, different relationship or maybe not even positive, but just It would be great if it was just neutral or not tense, not anxiety-inducing, not something that you fear uh, meeting the person once a day or once a week or whenever you think about them. It's sort of like the situation that I talked about a few weeks ago where you work for someone who seems like a tyrant and they're demanding and they're mean or angry or they're yelling a lot. They don't know any other way to be. So they've become this person or are doing this behavior because they don't know how else to behave to get what they need. And I'm a proponent of trying to find out what someone needs and fulfilling that need so that they change their behavior. In the movie, and I won't spoil it from this point on, one of the characters, you could tell, needed love. And however you define love or just being kind in a way where they understand that you care. I think when you tell someone that you care and you want to help them get what they need, that changes the dynamic of the relationship. You know, I remember when I was at the airport, I flew up from where I used to live in Florida to New Hampshire or Boston, I forget exactly where. And I was, my family was picking me up And I was alone with my stepfather in the airport, just sitting there. And for the first time, I asked him the question, Why do you drink? And he said, I can't help it. And it was like we were having our first heart-to-heart conversation. And I was like, why don't you just stop? I mean, I think everyone would be happier if if you stopped. I forget if I said exactly that or not, but I was surprised it came out of my mouth. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I did. I wanted to know why he drank and why he couldn't stop. And he said, and I'll never forget it, it's too late for me. And that was it. And, you know, I didn't have the tools that I needed back then to explore that further or ask any more questions. I just heard, it's too late for me. And, you know, that's a sign of just giving up that it's too late. I'm going to continue drinking. There's nothing I can do about it. And to me and to my family, that meant many, many more miserable years of his behavior because he believed it was too late. But for the first time in a long time, and this kind of goes along with what I'm talking about today or in this segment, I sat down and had a heart to heart with my stepfather without hating him, (laughs) without having any angst towards him whatsoever. I actually opened my heart and asked the questions. I really wanted to know, and I really wanted him to understand uh, what it meant to me for him maybe not to drink or uh, to behave differently towards the family or towards himself. And he said, it's too late for me. And that was it. And that was the only heart-to-heart that I ever had with my stepfather. Quite honestly, I didn't really want to explore any further communication with him, mainly because he was very, very toxic for me and the entire family. And I I got the least of it. (laughs) So he was very toxic to me, and I talk about it on the show, but I wish that the other members of my family would talk about it because you'd have some pretty interesting stories coming from them. Pretty scary stories, probably, too. But I try not to talk about what happened to them. I I didn't have their experience. I only know that their stories that I know about defined and shaped who he really was in my eyes, in my perception, let alone what I put together about him from my own experience of being with him for the 19 or so years that I grew up in the house. But I wanted to mention that because when you open your heart long enough to connect with someone, even a, even someone you don't like, you give them an opportunity to connect with you, to connect with themselves, to let down their guard and show you who they really are. In the movie, that happened. And it was a magical moment. I think it's important to find a path to someone's heart. Not always. You don't always have to make amends or forgive or try to be compassionate towards every single person, especially if they're evil in your eyes. But when you have to deal with someone on a daily basis, whether it's in family or work or any other type of relationship, if you're having to deal with someone quite often, Open your heart and see if they open theirs too. They may not, and they may bite, but take a chance and see what happens. Martin Luther King Jr. says, Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. And I would go on to say that it's not necessarily love towards someone else. It's just opening up your heart and knowing that other people have their own pain, they have their own dysfunction, and that when they're being mean or confrontational or 
offensive in any way, they're coming from a place of pain. And being in pain, you learn how to behave from that pain. Their foundation is pain. So how do you survive when you're in pain? You develop defense mechanisms and behave a certain way towards people until you get what you want. It's hard to come from a place of love when you're in pain. So this doesn't forgive their actions or behaviors. It just gives you an opportunity to connect with them a little differently. It gives them a chance. You open the door and say, whoa, we've got off on the wrong foot here. I apologize. I am so sorry if I offended you. Um, then I wish to take what I said back and I would love to start over with you and see what they say. Or if it's a boss or a coworker that you just can't get along with, try to find out what they need. What, what are they yelling about or what are they angry about? Think to yourself, what do they need? And can I help them get it? If someone's always saying, I can never figure this stuff out. It's always confusing me. I get all this data from all these different sources. It's always confusing me and you're good with spreadsheets, and you decide to help them and put all the data on the spreadsheet, you might change their entire life. We all have some sort of gift or skill that we can give someone else. There are things that I know that you don't know that you walk away from this show and go, hey, I could probably use that in my life. Just like there are things that you know that I don't know that I could use that you could share. So everyone listening, make a podcast right now. (laughs) Make a show on your specialty and put it out there into the world. I'm sort of kidding and I'm sort of not. We all know something more than someone else in some aspect of life. So I'm going to end this segment there. Just remember that sometimes you don't have to have a tense relationship with someone. Sometimes you can open your heart, connect with them, and really understand and be compassionate about any pain that they've experienced in their life. And in your mind, you can say, wow, I know this person has experienced a lot of pain. So I'm going to be a little more compassionate so I can show that person that I understand where they come from. I mean, it's not condescendingly compassionate. (laughs) You don't go, I know you're in a lot of pain. Share it with me. What's going on in your life? You just open your heart. And You know, if they're venting or yelling or screaming, just let them do it. Just give them that safe place to express themselves, to let it all out, and then thank them for sharing all that. Now, it won't always work. Some people will always have their guard up and have all their armor on and never want to back down and never show their vulnerable self, and that's fine. Let them be that too. Because eventually they're going to see that they feel safe around you. That's really what it comes down to. I really believe that love is allowing someone to feel safe in your presence. I mean, it's more than that. But a big part of love is feeling safe. When you can feel the safest around someone, then you open your heart. Angry, mean, very defensive or very offensive people, they don't feel safe. Otherwise, they wouldn't act the way they act. There is something inside them that makes them believe that they are not safe. You may not have the tools or the skills to uncover what they don't feel safe about, but knowing that they don't feel safe and that's why they're behaving that way just might open your heart enough 
to let them in and express themselves in a way that they've not felt safe enough to do so. That's it for this segment. Let's go on to our next segment called Ask Paul. All right, every week I talk with Asha with GetOutOfTheMess.com. Asha is an independent associate for Legal Shield, and she comes back once a week to remind us that we can always have someone in our corner when we need them. Now, instead of doing the normal thing where she comes on the show and I ask her a question and she shares with us all of her legal exploits, <laughs> everything that she's gone through, today I'm going to go solo because I had lunch with her yesterday. We went to one of my favorite places, Panera Bread, and this isn't a commercial for Panera Bread. I just love that place, <laughs> and I don't mind telling people about it. And uh, we talked about a very important situation that uh, married people get into. When they get divorced, there's always one person with the money and the power. Well, not always, but there's a lot of times one person with the money and the power and the other person who, for the last 10 20 or even 30 years has been helping them achieve that money and power. For example, 90 plus percent of the time in a heterosexual marriage, when they get divorced, it's the man who has more money and more power and the woman who, if she'd been helping him build that business, take care of the household, take care of the kids, she gets left with next to nothing because he can hire the best lawyers. And he has all the money and the time to spare to make sure that she gets nothing. That's a terrible place to be. If you're the woman, that's a terrible place to be. Asha and I talked about this yesterday and I just felt disheartened. I just felt like I had no answer. There's no solution for that. So really, the only solution that we both agreed to and this is where it turns into part commercial, part practical advice, is to have an attorney on your side, is to have a lawyer there to help you through the situation, to back you up, to know that somebody is in your corner fighting for you. Asha is with GetOutOfTheMess.com, and she gets you connected to legal insurance for $20 a month. Now, what does that mean? Anytime you need it, you call the service, and they get a hold of an attorney that's perfect for what you're going through, that attorney calls you back. They can write letters for you on your behalf. They can make phone calls for you all within this $20 a month. Or if you actually need to go to court, you'll get a reduced rate on attorney fees. I don't want you to be trapped. I want you to have a way out. I want someone on your side. So if you're in any type of situation like this, where you're going through a divorce, but the other person has the money and the power, and you don't feel like there's anything you can do, then just try it out for six months or even a year. I mean, think about it this way. 12 months at $20 a month is a total of $240. Have you ever paid for an hour <laughs> of an attorney's time? You're looking at a year of service for the amount that you typically pay for an hour of time. That's why I endorse this service so much. But like I said, this is a half commercial, half practical advice. 
because I want to give you my unbiased opinion on what I believe you should do. I believe you need someone backing you up. I believe that when you're in any type of situation where it's just too much to handle and it's going to cost too much, it's so much easier to have a representative, someone who represents you, take care of it for you or at least in partnership with you. Give Asha a call. Ask her if this is right for you. Her number is 678-355-8777 or you can email her at asha, A-S-H-A, at getoutofthemess.com. Don't get backed up into a wall and don't end up where so many of her friends and so many of our family members, she has family and I have family, that have ended up with no power, very little money, having to get work for the first time in many, many years, don't end up where they ended up. Or if you're already there, find out if you have a case. Find out if you have some sort of legal recourse so you're not stuck in that position. Again, call Asha at 678-355-8777. This next segment is called Ask Paul, and this is where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to answer and help them through a challenge that they're having. Here's today's letter. Hi, Paul. I love your podcast and I appreciate you sharing your journey and insights with all of us. I have listened to many of your episodes. I meditate, practice yoga, yet I find that I keep struggling with the relationship that I'm in. I was married over 15 years. My husband left me abruptly and I struggled for years to get myself back in one piece. I was in my mid-40s at the time. Two years after my divorce, I met a wonderful, tender, handsome man that I fell head over heels in love with. Soon, we were engaged. That was a few years ago. My fiancé is in the military and will not retire for another few years. Our first year together was bliss. We saw each other at least two to three times a month and spent as much time together as we possibly could. And then he was transferred several thousand miles away. I have children and I share custody with my ex. I cannot move. We have struggled with the separation, but honestly, when we're together, it was so great that we just held on. A year went by and he was transferred again, this time even further away. I love this man, but I'm lonely and I'm tired of being alone. We share many wonderful things together, but it's hard to stay connected with all the distance. He will be moved again, somewhere not close, but after he's done, he's going to retire. Our plan was to get married and look forward to his retirement, even if it meant three more years of separation. By the time he's retired, my children will be in college and out of the house. Well, I broke up with him two months ago as I felt I couldn't keep this up and I was waiting on a promise. I felt my life was passing me by. He was heartbroken, as was I. After about a month, I started to really question what I had done. I felt I had made an enormous mistake. I reached out to him and he is understandably reluctant to get back into a relationship that has, quote, no resolution for several years due to our personal situations. 
I keep trying to reframe this, but I seem so stuck. I want to move on, but I don't want to lose this man in my life as I adore him. I don't want to be alone, but I don't want to be with anyone else. He needs to finish what he set out to do professionally, as do I. I need to raise my children. I feel like the argument goes around and around in my head, and I can't find an answer on what to do. It seems like there's no resolution, and I suppose I need to accept this or move on, but it just doesn't seem that easy. Anyway, I would appreciate any thoughts on how I might be able to resolve this in my own head. All right, I'll call you Jill. Jill, thanks so much for writing this. Uh, this is a hard situation. When love traverses across thousands of miles, it can be wonderful and painful at the same time. You can have someone out there waiting for you and you know that soon you'll be together. And maybe when he goes on leave, you'll be together. But that could be six months, could be a year, could be who knows how long. I remember when I met my girlfriend, the distance between us was over a thousand miles. And, you know, at first we were conversing as friends. It took about a couple months before we started realizing that this relationship could go somewhere. But we were talking online through video chat and phone as friends. And we knew that the distance and other factors like me not wanting to ever move out of New Hampshire and her unable to move out of Georgia because she has a kid with her ex as well, we just knew that it wasn't going to be. But I was in a situation uh, that eventually I could do anything I wanted because I didn't have anything tying me down. You know, I hate to say it that way. It sounds like a negative thing, but you have kids and you share them with your ex. And unless you don't want to see your kids anymore, you have something that ties you down and children are wonderful and you have children, which is great. So you will have a life with your children, but not with the man you want to be with. And that's a tough decision, but that is the decision you made. And you've committed to, but are now saying that you might have some regrets of breaking up and not sure where to go from here. So my answer isn't, uh, well, you made your decision, now stick with it. <laughs> not at all. Uh, but I do want to explore this with you and and find a an acceptable or somehow reasonable thought process that you can plant into your mind. Now... What is the thought process? First of all, he's thousands of miles away and you love him. Now, what do you do with someone that you can never see, but you love? What do you really do with a person like that in your life? Someone you know you can't see or not easily, but you love them. The first thing that comes to my mind is you want them to be happy. You want them to be happy. Now, does their happiness have to include you? Now, that's a hard question to swallow. I had to swallow that question when I was getting divorced. I did not want a divorce, but I wanted her to be happy. Because when we were married, I wanted her to be happy. I just had a, a dysfunctional outlook of what happiness was and didn't realize what happiness for your partner, for the one you love, really meant. 
Do you want him to be happy? I know we're going to talk about you in a minute. We want you to be happy too, of course. But do you want him to be happy? And if he is happy, holding on to the idea that you will get married, then you know where he's at. You know what he's going to do. He's going to keep himself busy for the next few years and keep holding on because that's what he does. I'm assuming that you know him well enough that that's what he'll do. If he's committed, that's what he'll do. But then you ask yourself, what would make me happiest? And what makes us happy has to do with the priority of things in our life. If your priority is your children, then my advice is to dedicate your love and your energy and your happiness towards your children. If that's your priority, then dedicate all of you to them. Now, that's not just the answer I'm going to give. It's not just, well, (laughs) you made children, now stick with that decision because you still have some pain inside of you. You still have some loneliness inside of you and you don't want to be alone anymore. I understand this, but who do you want to be when you meet another man? I'm not saying that you need to meet another man. I'm saying that it is possible that another man will come into your life who is not only just as good, but might be better. And that may not be a thought that you want to have. But if you really do want companionship in your life, you need to keep yourself open to any companionship so that it can happen, even with the person that's thousands of miles away right now. You need to keep yourself open to what's possible. What is possible? When I was getting a divorce... I did not want anyone else but my wife. I wanted her back. And I was going to hold out until she changed her mind and came back into the marriage. But there was a point where I realized that was never going to happen. And so I was in the same situation or a similar situation as you. I said, well, I either have to accept this or move on or what? So I was like, okay, I accept it. I accept that. She's never going to want me back. And the marriage is never going to be again. But accepting it didn't take away the pain. So the thought came to me of, well, what if I meet someone else? And I was thinking, yeah, but that's not her. That's not my wife. It's never going to be her. And it's true. The next person you meet will never be the last person that you were in love with. Will never be that person that you were so connected to. But here's the thing, and here's what got me past the decision that I had to make, which was to accept and move on, which is where you are stuck and are trying to figure out what your next move is. I came to a point where I said, if I met someone else and she was just as kind and friendly and pretty and everything else just like my wife or even better in some ways or more ways would I then allow that would I then allow her into my life and have it be just as meaningful if not more meaningful and I sat with that and something processed inside of me something shifted inside of me and for the first time I realized that it's not the person that I miss. 
It's how I felt having the person in my life. So when I had my wife in my life, I felt a lot of good things in myself. I felt supported. I felt I was in love. You know, I had all these wonderful feelings, even though there was some dysfunction in the marriage. But <laughs> I talk about that on other shows. But for the most part, you know, when I was happy, I was really happy. So ask yourself, if someone came along who wasn't anything like that person in your life, but made you laugh just as much, made you smile just as much, made you feel just as significant, made you feel loved just as much, if not more, would you consider the possibility of that person being in your life, a new person that can do all those things, if not more than the last person? It doesn't mean you love the last person any less. It just means that you allow what you love to feel and who you love to be into your life again. How do you want to feel? Do you want to feel that love? Do you want to laugh? Do you want to enjoy and share experiences with someone? Most of us do. So I say forget the label of who does that for you. We have some wonderful people that come in and out of our lives and then sometimes we wish that person would have stayed and so we label that person as the one. We label that person by their name and say they'll never be another Jack or they'll never be another Susie or <laughs> I'm just making up names here. They'll never be another so-and-so. Then we meet someone else and suddenly we feel good again. Things start happening in us that happened before, but this time we feel different or better. Now, I hate to say it, but the formula for love and happiness is pretty simple. It's just that sometimes we can't meet it because we're stuck on what we believe the formula should be. We believe the formula needs to be this six foot one brown haired guy with brown eyes with a mustache and nice shoes. And he took me out in his Buick. <laughs> I mean, we label it with details instead of measuring how we feel when we're with someone. So the challenge is knowing that we can feel how we felt with the person that we were with, with someone else, knowing it's possible. Because it is possible. It's sort of like when I look on craigslist or ebay and i see something that uh, catches my eye and i go wow that's only forty dollars i better buy it now you can't find those anywhere yet it only took me five minutes to log into one of those sites and find it right away <laughs> so I, I actually ended up uh, convincing myself of a philosophy that has been true time and time again which is if i can find it once i can find it again if you can find this once, then you can be open to finding it again. Now, do I recommend that you take this lonely feeling that you have and seek someone else? No, I don't. I've been there. I've done it. Uh, when you're lonely for someone, then there is somewhat of a desperation. I'm not saying you're desperate. But there's a neediness, a longing. Um, you're seeking something as if you need it to survive almost. Like, I don't want to be lonely. 
So someone has to fill this void in my life. And when you start looking outside of you to get some voids filled in your life, sometimes you lower your standards and you let people in that probably won't make you as happy. This is why they say don't seek someone after a breakup because it's a rebound relationship. It's like as soon as you break up, you go on the rebound and that person fills a lot of needs, but not all the ones you really desire in your life. Not the long-term needs. They fill the short-term needs. Sometimes. I mean, sometimes a rebound relationship can turn into a great relationship. You said you got divorced and two years later you met someone. I don't really consider that a rebound relationship unless you were still in that neediness phase. Because there's a time when you are needy and longing and wanting and then sometimes the wrong people will fill those needs because you let them in. But there's also a time of hey, I'm ready for a relationship now. And that's a a much different vibe. That's a much different feeling. It's like, all right, I've been divorced for two years and I'm over it and I've been single long enough and I've raised my children for the last two years and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Now I'm ready to take this good feeling and share it with someone else. That's where I want you to be. I want you to share a good feeling with someone else. That's when you're ready for any type of relationship. When you're ready to share a good feeling of who you are and you feel good about yourself and you want to just share the world with someone else. Instead of trying to fill loneliness, trying to fill neediness. When you seek someone, when you're in that state, you will fill short-term needs and sometimes are blind to long-term outcomes. When you're blind to long-term outcomes, then all the short-term needs are filled and suddenly the relationship starts to disintegrate and things get worse and worse. Now, it sounds like your relationship with this military man was great, but now you have distance. Now you have so much time between seeing each other that you see your life passing by, holding on to what might be something or not. Now, here's a hard truth. The hard truth is, I truly believe in making a decision and just going for it 100%. And what does that mean? To me, it means I hate stagnation. I hate being in a rut. If I want something, I'm going to make it happen or it won't happen. Or at least I'm going to try to make it happen or it won't happen. When I was making my decision to move to Georgia to be with my girlfriend. I did not take long to consider it. I thought about it and I said, okay, do I want to do this? And as soon as I said, yeah, I think I want to do it, I had to come to a place in my mind where I said, yes, I know I'm going to do this. There was no indecision. Indecision is one of the worst places to be. It keeps you in a rut. It keeps you at emotional stagnation. It keeps negative emotions alive in you because you're in indecision. You don't know what's going to happen because you are afraid to commit to one path or another. This is one of the places that many of my clients go to. When I'm coaching some clients, they're not sure what to do next. And I tell them, make the decision even if you're wrong. Make a commitment to a path even if you're wrong. You'll find out if you're wrong soon enough. 
and it might hurt. But what's worse, staying in indecision for years with a possible fantastic payoff or committing to a decision knowing that you are creating the path that you are on and knowing that if it's meant to be, it will be. But you're still moving on because you can't wait around. Who knows how much, you know, I hate to say this, who knows how much life you have left? And maybe these questions were coming up in your mind. You're not an old person by any means. But you never know what's going to happen. Imagine if you waited three years and you found out he was killed in action or something happened to you and now he has no one to come home to. Now, these are hard things to face, but the moment of decision is today. The time to take action is now. You never know what's going to happen next. Sure, if it was a few weeks or a few months, that might be a different story. But even if it's a few years like it is for you, you can make the commitment to wait three years. I'm not saying this has to go the way that you've broken up and now you can never see each other again or whatever. Because you can certainly make the commitment, make the decision to go, you know what, I will wait three years. I don't care. You have to get to that point where I don't care. I love this enough to wait three years. That's a decision. And you could be wrong. Taking action and making a decision is empowerment. And if three years go by after you've committed to that path, and it doesn't work out between you, then you make another decision. The most power in every decision comes from this phrase that I tell myself. I am 100% committed to this decision, and I am open to being wrong. That is a hard truth. That is hard to accept. (laughs) And it's almost a dichotomy in thinking. Wait a minute, you're 100% committed, but you're open to being wrong about the commitment. It's sort of like the same perspective I have towards beliefs. I 100% believe in this, but I'm open to being wrong about it. If you can be comfortable with this type of philosophy in your life, you'll be able to get through a lot of situations. Like right now, I'm 100% committed to my relationship with my girlfriend. And I'm open to being wrong that it will last. I'm open to being wrong that I made the right decision. It feels good to me. It works for me. It makes me believe that no matter what, I'm going to continue to work on this relationship and make it as great as it can be. But if she kicks me out, (laughs) well, that's what happens. That's something that I allowed to exist. I think why I do it that way is that it takes out resistance towards any possible outcome. When you have resistance to an outcome, it creates emotional stagnation. It creates that turmoil in your life and sometimes makes you miserable. So I think I like to clear the path to any resistance by being 100% committed and being 100% open to being wrong about my commitment. And then when I am wrong about something, of course, I'm still going to feel the pain. I'm still going to feel the hurt. Just like when I was getting divorced or when I found out that she wanted a divorce, I was hurt. I was devastated. And then, you know, after I talked with her, she did not want to fix this. 
she wanted a divorce. So I committed. Two days later, I went to uh, the courthouse and got the divorce papers. I was making it final. I was making a decision. I was taking action. I was doing something that started the healing process right away. And that's my whole point about this, is that as soon as you commit to something, you start the healing process because all the energetic ties to what could be get disconnected or they start to disconnect. If you think, oh, I might regret that decision, then you keep those energetic ties tethered and the emotions stay, the negative feelings, the oh, the regret stays, your, your possible regret, the sad feelings stay. Everything stays because you never give it a chance to heal. You never close the door on the other paths that you want to keep open just in case. So where I want you to be is to start the healing process no matter what. So if that means closing the door saying, you know, I can't do a long-distance relationship, so we need to break this off. And if three years I'm available and you're available, maybe this will work. But I cannot live in stagnation for three years. I cannot put my life on hold for three years. Because who are you going to be for three years? Who are you going to be? Now, you could be happy. You could make the decision to wait for three years. And that's perfectly fine with you. It really comes down to what's okay with you. And if waiting around for three years for that great possibility for a great relationship, if that works for you, then do it. Commit to it. Make it happen. But if you picture yourself for the next three years lonely and depressed and immensely missing the person and always longing for them, I guarantee you don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. If you can come to a comfortable place of knowing that it could be great someday and you're not always longing and what my girlfriend calls pining for someone, then you might be okay. But if you do feel yourself in that hard-to-handle place, can you be there for three years or how many years that it's going to take before you get together again? So Jill, I know this is very hard for you. I've been in two or three long-distance relationships actually. Uh, but they only lasted a few months before I or they moved so we could be together. I do believe in finding uh, someone you really love. It doesn't have to be in your your city or your state. I do believe it can be anywhere in the world. But the idea is if you guys are flexible enough to be together, then it can work out. But if there's a long distance for a long time, how much time do you want to go by before you can start healing and living your life again? You may have it in you to go the distance and wait those years, or maybe not. Just commit so you can close the doors, and then whatever happens after that is what's meant to be. Now, there's a little bit of spiritual belief here. You could close the doors and not be together for three years, and then when you meet again, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. But some people are, and this may sound a little harsh, some people are a gateway to finding other people. Some people give us an opportunity to feel good again about ourselves so that we can meet the right person next. 
And if you don't resonate with that, you don't have to listen to me. <laughs> it's sort of my belief system where when you meet someone and they make you feel good about yourself and then they leave your life and it hurts and you're like, oh no, that's who I wanted. That's who I wanted in my life for the rest of my life. Sometimes it's a reminder that you can feel good again and that you can find someone like that, if not better, again. That's my message to you, Jill. My heart goes out to you. I've been there. I know where you're at. And I hope you're doing well with this. And certainly send me an update when you can. It's time for our last segment, What's in the Box? Alright, if you haven't coached with me one-on-one, let me tell you what that entails. I coach people all over the world, anyone from salespeople to celebrities, from baristas to CEOs. If you need specific or unique guidance, one-on-one personal attention to your challenges, consider coaching with me. We can do a single dive-in session to find out where you're at or what challenges you're having and maybe even have a breakthrough during that session. Or you can plan ahead and purchase several at once, which saves you more money. Or you can go on a maintenance plan where you want to continue working with me once every few weeks to make sure that you stay on par, you stay the course, and keep making decisions that are mentally healthy for you. I'm a personal empowerment coach, which means I get you to a point where you feel empowered to make decisions that create the life you want. So I can help you get by those anxious thoughts or those feelings of not feeling good enough or worthy enough because you know that I know that you are worthy and I'll help you get there. I'll help you realize that too. And if you don't think it's in you, well, that's why I'm here. And whether you want to coach with me or not, keep listening to the show. I teach everything I know on this show. But, you know, sometimes you need more personal one-on-one support. And that's why I'm here. Reach out to me. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on Coach with Paul. I want to get you to a point where you have all the tools and resources that you need to make empowering decisions for yourself. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on Coach with Paul. Hope to talk with you soon. All right, what's in the box today is something I already mentioned, and that was during uh, the Get Out of the Mess segment where I talked about how when you're in a relationship and all of your time and energy and sometimes money goes towards something that you're building together, but one of you takes it, takes all the money and the power. When you split up or if you split up, it leaves the other person dead in the water, left for dead in a ditch, and it's awful. Like I said, I had this conversation with Asha, and we could not figure out a way out. I mean, what do you do? If you're in business together... If it wasn't a relationship, you'd probably sign a contract. 
But when you're in business together and you're in a relationship, an intimate romantic relationship, typically there's just trust involved. You don't sign a contract. You don't sign anything business-like unless you have a prenuptial or something, which might be an idea if you ever plan on going in business together. But what if you're in business together now and you sense the end coming? Yes, of course, I'm going to ask you to call Asha, <laughs> but I won't turn this into a commercial right now because this segment is about the the contingency plan that we never make. Why? Why don't we make a contingency plan? Well, for one thing, we don't realize it's going to end. I mean, it may never end. A relationship that you're in may be super <laughs> and it may never end. But what if it does? If your relationship ended today, where would it leave you? Now, I hate to use scare tactics on the show like that, but it is a good idea to think about every now and then. Where are you left and could you be okay eventually monetarily? You know, it's going to hurt emotionally, of course, but where are you monetarily? Where are you? Do you have a house or do you have support? Or when they leave, are they going to take everything? Hopefully, this never happens to you. But if it has happened to you, you know what I mean. Where will you end up? We already know the emotions are going to hurt. But where do you end up, again, financially? Or do they have all the power? So I don't mean to put this in your head so you'll be fearful or anything like that. But it is something that I cannot figure out how to avoid. This is one of those mysteries in the universe, like a paradox. Like you want to love and trust the person you're with. At the same time, if that person that you're with, that you've built uh, any type of financial nest together, if they take that financial nest, where are you left? Or if they take uh, what you've been doing for the past 20 or so years and all your skills are about that business, do you have any other skills to get another job? This is important to know. This is why it's important to have personal growth, personal development, and personal empowerment. This is why it's important for you to build yourself, to evolve yourself, to get to a point where you become self-sustaining in a relationship. Not because you're paranoid about a future that, you know, where you could break up or get divorced, but because it's the right thing to do for you no matter what. And what if the other person doesn't leave you but dies? I mean, there are all these things that we don't typically have a contingency plan for. And the hard thing is accepting that there should be a contingency plan because we don't want to believe that someone's going to leave us. We don't want to believe that they would do that to us. The truth is some people do. And especially during divorce, people's brains change. They're, they start thinking differently. And they're convinced by friends and attorneys that this is what you need to do. They stop using their heart and start seeing a different path they need to take in order to, quote, win. So again, I don't mean to use this as a scare tactic, but I do want you to start developing yourself, developing your skills, doing other things that aren't all about 
the other person or the relationship. Do things for you. Do things that enrich you, that sustain, support, and bring you higher in some way, whatever that means to you. And that could mean something as simple as opening up a savings account for yourself. Again, not because there's a possibility of breaking up, but because you never know what could happen. You never know. And when every single part of you is dependent on someone else, that's putting all of your eggs in one basket, hoping that it will always be there. It reminds me of that story of Lucent, I think it was Lucent Technologies, where I met a guy in a restaurant who worked for them, and he had his entire retirement uh, funded through them. So I don't know if they folded or if there was some embezzlement. I, I just, I don't remember the whole story, but I do know that he said my entire retirement was in there. It was like a half a million dollars and he was getting near retirement age. And he said, now I have nothing. I had everything in that one entity and I have nothing. And now I'll have to work probably for the rest of my life. And it really saddened me. And people are in that position right now. And I say, you'd have to accept that and move on and do what you can. But wow, what could I have done differently? What should I have done? We believe and we trust. And sometimes we're just naive. So I want to leave you with that. Not so you'll be paranoid, but so you'll be empowered. So if anything does happen, then you have already started the process of taking care of yourself. Even if your relationship lasts for the rest of your lives, it's not a bad idea to take care of yourself anyway. There's something very empowering about taking care of yourself while in the relationship because you bring the best you to the other person. Thanks for joining me today. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Asha with GetOutOfTheMess.com. She does just that. She helps you get out of the mess or avoid messes. So if you're in the U.S. or Canada, give her a call at 678-355-8777 or visit GetOutOfTheMess.com and look at your options for legal insurance for $20 a month. Well worth it. I want to thank everyone who has purchased a book or a worksheet or used the Amazon link to shop as you normally would. That gives us pennies for every dollar you spend, but your contributions and shopping habits are making a difference. So thank you. Thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. And to end the show today, I just want to mention that that movie that I watched, Soul Surfer, there was a great part in it. You know, she wanted to surf again and she was missing an arm and she wasn't sure if she was going to do it and then she got frustrated and um she had she had a moment where she found people in the world that were a lot worse off than she was and this really gave her a perspective and this is something that I like to do well not really like to do but I do on occasion is I want to be inspired by looking at other people that don't have the means or the faculties or the resources 
that I might have. I think about just having the internet is just a fantastic resource to have, but some people don't have it. Some people don't he- don't have a phone. Some people don't have a house. Some people, you know, you could go on and on. Some people don't have a car. Some people don't have other people to help support them. It's hard. It can be really hard to get that perspective and be grateful for the stuff in your life if you're never, say, comparing yourself to people who don't have as much as you. I always thought that was a good way to feel good about yourself too is when you look at someone that has more than you and you're envious or jealous, how do you feel good about yourself after that? Like, where am I in life? How come I haven't achieved that level of success yet? And then you look at people that are haven't achieved your level of success below you. Not really below you, but you know what I mean. And you go, wow, that person doesn't even have enough money to buy food every week. And then you ask, I wonder how they look at me. And suddenly, your perspective shifts. I'm all about shifting perspective when you're feeling bad. Reframing things so that you don't only have one aspect or viewpoint of your life. So I want you to take that thought process and then open your mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Martin Luther King Jr. and it's this. The time is always right. No, that's not it.